Hi, welcome back to the Your Edge podcast. I'm Mark Butler, a global partner manager here at Zebra, and I have two guests with me here today from Corporate Supply Chain Software. Uh, Corporate Supply Chain Software is a member of Zebra's global partner portfolio. Uh, the first is Ansgar Tide, who is the Vice President of Data Science for Corporate Supply Chain Software, and also have, have with us Justin Veltone, who is a Product Director of Warehouse Management Systems at Corporate Supply Chain Software. Both have been heavily focused on AI in the warehouse and the broader supply chain, and they have a lot of great insights to share what's developing here. I do want to thank you both for joining me. I have a feeling this is going to be a discussion that a lot of people are going to tune into just because AI is so hot. Some people say it's it's going to be as transformative as the internet was to business and others compared to mobility. Either way, this isn't a matter of if one day you'll use AI within your business, it's when and how. Hi, Mark. Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, and I agree, this is uh, an area which has a lot of potential. So utilizing AI methods in the supply chain area can definitely change on how we're doing things today and how things are done. Um, and it might even be, depending on how you define AI and what kind of tools you're using, it might be that it's already in use in some of your supply chains. So AI is a it is very hyped at the moment, again, through the Gen AI stuff, and I might, we might talk about that one later. But actually, there are AI methods in the market available already for quite some time um, in different areas, and we can dive into some of these um, details later on. I'm very excited to see uh, some of these transformations happening that make these better data tools available to the small and medium-sized business market, which might normally be uh, in, in the enterprise market and out of reach for some of the smaller companies. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you to you both. To get started, uh, you know, we're hearing more and more people say that AI can do a lot to help warehousing and supply chain teams, but I'm not sure we're hearing enough about what specifically AI can do and what operations managers, engineers, IT teams, and others will need to do to take advantage of those benefits that AI promises. Plus, AI is such a broad term. Uh, there's so many different flavors of AI. So I think it's important if we talk about talk about all of it. Yeah, I mean, you're you right. AI is a pretty broad term, um, and it is used for many things today. Um, from, from my perspective, there are two key areas that can be very interesting for supply chain management, um, where you can use AI methods. Um, one of them is forecasting, definitely. Um, and the other one, and that's technically probably not really an AI method, but it sometimes is used in that context as well, it's about optimization. And supply chains are all about optimization. Um, on be it a replenishment question, be it a slotting question, and um, some of the, the newer AI techniques might even help in that area. But I think these two forecasting and optimization, as broad as it sounds, are definitely two areas where you can apply AI. Um, and there are probably, or there, there are many more, but these two stick out at least to me. And from uh, <clears throat> a box jockey perspective, like somebody who is moving boxes around on the warehouse floor, one of the things that we, uh, uh, would hit on is there's always somebody in the warehouse or somebody in operations who's that kind of that key person. And if they go on vacation and everything's, you know, everybody gets really nervous when they're on vacation and to be able to have tools that help facilitate, you know, movement throughout the warehouse and decision-making and, and making sure that things are moving in the right way, even when those key people are out, 
that gives them the freedom to take vacations. It gives, uh, you know, one of the things I usually bring up is it, it prevents injury in, in some cases and things like that. So it, it augments the warehouse in a really great way. Interesting. Both points are interesting. Yeah. Well, let's start at the 30,000 foot level, uh, you know, from your perspective, you know, what type of AI is currently proving the most helpful in warehousing and supply uh, supply chain environments and why? So maybe I, I start again. So I think there, there are aspects of AI that are utilized, for example, via image recognition in robotics, where it might be already in use. So if you already have some automation in your warehouse um, and you're using some robots, it's pretty likely that they're using some AI techniques um, to make sure that um, there are no, um, yeah, that, that there are no collisions and stuff like that happening. One other aspect on a famous application of AI is machine learning forecasting. So you use machine learning models, be it uh, the simpler ones like um, random forests or more complex generalized um, models that you can use. And you can use these for categorization of your data. You can use them for forecasting in other areas. And it's very likely that maybe in some of your tools, this is already applied. Um, and I think these are really key aspects of AI if you start from a 30,000 foot level um, where you might be already using AI actually. And then I'm always looking at kind of the execution layer of what is it, you know, the person boots on the ground as they move through the warehouse, where are the pieces where we can offer value to them to make their lives a little bit easier? Because the labor is often a, a, one of the largest expenses that we have in, in the warehouse, that people doing the work and being able to do the work efficiently, making sure that we keep the, the inventory that we've invested in as a warehouse. Uh, those types of activities, if we can find ways to to help increase those numbers, we move the bottom line for a business. You know, it's uh, actually readily apparent that your guys' skill sets are very complementary to each other, especially for you know this type of a podcast. But in general, a big part of what Kerber focuses on, uh, you know, day in day out. But uh, you know, there was data released in the U.S. recently that revealed a very wide gap in the number of comp companies talking about AI and those actually using AI. Uh, this data has fueled discussion about why we're not seeing higher adoption rates as of yet. Zebra studies, as well as conversations with customers, it seems like there's a fear of the unknown, maybe combined with perceived complexity. You know, people feel AI could be helpful, but they don't think they have all the skills or know-how to actually get the AI tools online. Or they aren't quite sure how to create this intelligence loop between AI and humans to ensure that the data that the AI generates and analyzes coming become actionable. Uh, yeah, I guess so here's my question. How do we make AI feel manageable, especially to people who may just be not, just now digitizing their data and digitizing their workflows? Yeah. In my experience, it is a step-by-step -step process. So do not throw AI at everything, um, but really focus on specific use cases where you um, might, might uh, change the bottom line, as Justin said earlier. So really focus on use cases that bring additional business value and accept that applying an AI method might change how you do things. So you're not just doing the same thing, just applying AI, but you might do the things differently. So one aspect could be that by leveraging AI, 
maybe some of the micro decisions are made by the algorithm itself, but how to steer that algorithm and what the strategy around is, that's now a different question. And that will still need a human to interact with the algorithm and to steer it and to guardrail it to a certain extent. So the way how you do your daily work might change and you have to embrace that change. So in my experience, change management is a really important aspect when introducing such a game changer as a new AI method to solve something differently. I like that. Justin? I, I think the other thing too is each warehouse, uh, each company definitely, but even each warehouse might have different uh, what I would call bleeding neck problems, like a real a real concern for that particular space and to, to look at where they're having the largest problems and then maybe start taking some of those things down one at a time as they start adopting. Because yeah, it, it's, it would be a big project to bring it across all of the portfolio, but to identify if it's uh, a lot of uh, 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 inventory that's aging, then it might be more in the planning stage. If you're uh, spending a lot on labor, you might be looking to gain more efficiencies out of that and make sure that the, the job is easier. Um, if it's, I brought up injuries as well. If, if people are going out on uh, FMLA due to injury uh, because of the way the box was slotted, that would be a really good one if, if you can get, attack that it just depends by the by the company. And I think we'll talk about slotting IQ in just a little bit too. But um, uh, you know, I know Kerber talks about AI in the context of data science. Uh, so does that mean that you feel a team of data scientists are needed to effectively train and utilize AI models in a different supply chain or in different supply chain models, or is there a kind of a, a low code slash no code approach that would easily fit into a low tech systems environment in a warehouse? So there are great platforms to leverage AI methods quite easily by now. Um, so you could look at, at Microsoft or at Google or other vendors, of course, that have great platforms to employ these methods. If you want to solve an existing problem differently or want to solve a new problem, then you have to deal with the data as well. And that's where it makes sense to not just apply a method which works out of the box, but see how does it translate if I use the following data? Is the data quality good enough? Can I generalize from one customer data set to a second customer set to a third customer data set so that I don't have to reinvent the model every time I want to apply the method to a new customer? And that's where it makes sense to think about building out a data science team to really build out a solution for customers that can ultimately scale. But obviously, the target needs to be that our customers not necessarily need a data science team to utilize that solution. So it's our job to make the solution as easily to digest and to, to really utilize in the daily business so that um, maybe in the beginning, you need some guidance and enablement and you need the change management that we talked about a bit earlier. But you don't need specific data scientists to control our job um, and, and if the solution is doing the, the right stuff. But yeah, so it, it, it needs some investment in the beginning. But the idea is that you can build out solutions that can be utilized by non-data scientists in the future. Uh, now's a good time. Maybe it'd be good if, if you give some specific examples how AI can be used to improve day-to-day decision-making in a warehouse uh, you know, and what it really takes to get these types of AI tools online and generating that intelligence and guidance. Yeah. Um, 
So we started to focus on two key areas um, where we think that AI methods uh, can help in the warehouse. And one of them is around slotting. Um, so where to put which inventory in the warehouse. And that's essentially, it is an optimization problem. But with new methods, you can solve it differently. You can take into account all the different um, rule sets that might be relevant and that might be very different from customer to customer. So that's something where data science um, and data-driven solutions can really help um, making better decisions in the warehouse. Another aspect that we started to look at is something that you mentioned earlier where we have a challenge in the warehouse and that's labor availability. So can we help our customers by predicting labor demand and then ultimately also helping them with solving and how to distribute the, the labor um, and plan that out. Um, and that's something um, where while on the slotting side, we have a proposed solution and are going to market with that. On the workforce planning side, we are still um, evaluating on how much benefit our customers could, um, could get um, from applying such a solution. And it's very interesting to see how the predictive methods with the data that you gather in the warehouse can be brought together to generate these insights that hopefully help our customers to do a better job in, in labor planning. Uh, it's funny you mentioned labor planning because that was actually a topic of conversation in one of our meetings last week about uh, and talking about AI and so forth that we had with some of your executives. Um, you know, let's talk about uh, generative AI specifically for the moment. Uh, it's in the news quite a bit. Uh, given that this type of AI is the one that everyone seems to be, they feel familiar with, you know, we're starting to see some interesting generative AI use cases uh, emerge in retail. Uh, in fact, uh, here at Zebra, Stuart Hubbard's who's our senior director of artificial intelligence and advanced development, was telling one of our retail leaders, uh, Mark Thompson, about some cool new AI applications that our CTO, uh, Tom Bianculi, is working on with partners and retailers. They were talking about how smart carts and the guided shopper experience and associate, and associate assistance, for example. But I think where I want to understand is where it might make sense to leverage generative AI models, you know, the large language models further upstream you know, throughout the supply chain, whether it's in a warehouse, a distribution center, or maybe even over the road or in a factory. Yeah, <laughs> Gen AI wow. is a really huge topic and there are really great opportunities ahead of us. And I think we're just scratching the surface at the moment. Um, what, I've, uh, what I've been seeing and what we've started to evaluate are two aspects where Gen AI could help in the supply chain area. And that's probably just a, a small area that we are looking at. One of them is time to value. So usually implementing new supply chain solutions takes a lot of time. Um, it takes um, time to understand the data, to do the integration properly, to set up custom workflows, etc. And I think their Gen AI methods, similar to how they can be helping in coding itself or in generating documentation, I think Gen AI methods might be helpful in actually reducing the time to value and being quicker and rolling out new solutions. So that's one aspect that we are investigating. If we can help our customers or partners um, to um, be quicker um, in terms of in integration times. The other aspect where Gen AI is bringing something completely new to the table is how the interaction with the humans work. So it comes so natural, this whole ChatGPT or OpenAI or all the other tools that are available now, it comes very natural on how to use that. 
<laughs> and maybe that's also an opportunity in the supply chain or warehouse management space. So people are very used on how to adopt a new solution. So there is a table and they have to fill a certain cell. Then they have to do this and then they have to do that. And maybe there's another way to get to the same goal, but in a very different way on how to do that. So really changing the user experience of solutions. And I think that's where the Gen AI solutions have been showing great success over the past 12 months and revolutionizing the user experience of the internet, of finding knowledge of Q and A's. And maybe there's a similar potential in supply chain and the supply chain area of revolutionizing the user experience um, of the interaction with your solution. So I think these are really two very interesting areas. One aspect that I want to mention around Gen AI is where it might not be the top solution. It's about the creativity. So many, many examples of um, Gen AI are also about these algorithms seem to be creative. They create new stuff. They sometimes are even inventing things. And I think that's what you do not want to have in a supply chain process. You want to have absolute certainty. If possible, you want to be deterministic, etc. So I think there it is important if you start applying Gen AI methods to put the right guardrails into place and be aware of the risks that might come with these techniques as well. Uh, and for <clears throat> for some of these things, we have uh, mountains of documentation uh, that you know. There's a lot of knowledge that we've created that that we can can expose to people. But there's time in, in going when you have a question to go find the answer to it. But with some of these tools, they can use more natural language to get the question that the person's actually trying to get answered to, and then let the, the generative AI go into the data set to pull out the, the answer. And a person, uh, a user could potentially, rather than you know submitting a ticket, waiting X amount of hours based on the severity of it to get a response, they can have an answer while they're doing their work without interfering the work stream. Yeah, uh, good. That's that's well said. And uh, Ansgar, as you were talking, uh, in my mind, I was thinking the word guardrails. And sure enough, you know, there you said it. Like the next sentence later. So, uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, how easy would it be, do you think, to shift a work shift workers in warehousing and supply chain environments to learn some of these AI applications, such as the one for slotting? Right. We know there's a high labor churn rate in certain roles, and the goal is to decrease the time it takes to get new hires to full productivity. Or time to value, as you were saying earlier, in a way. Um, how would AI potentially help or even maybe hinder that? Yeah, I think it's important for, for us if we want to develop new solutions that are utilizing AI that we still know our users very well. And sometimes it might be a few managers in the back room. And then it's about changing um, their perspective of how they have been using a specific solution earlier. But in the future, there might be also solutions that actually affect many hundreds of people in the warehouse. And then it's even more important to design the solutions in a way that they're easily to digest and not complex. And yes, there is um, a certain air of complexity around AI methods. And for example, if you think about forecasting, one of the drawbacks that is sometimes mentioned in that context is the explainability because it is not as easy to understand where a specific forecast might be coming from because the AI methods are leveraging so much more data. And that's obviously something that you need to avoid if you want many users seamlessly integrate with your new solution. So you have to make sure that 
your designs are properly um, thought of and enable um, your users properly. So that's that's something that needs to be very top of mind because otherwise the complexity that comes with such a solution could be overwhelming from time to time. That's that's a very fair comment and it will be important to, to deal with that. Uh, and in, in the terms of uh, a slotting tool, just as a, an example of a workflow, what we would be doing is taking a, a process that's probably very data centric, very complex, and takes a significant amount of time to analyze uh, a, a lot of information to turn it into actionable movements within the warehouse. So I need to swap these two items, I need to swap these two. So in, in a beginning scenario, somebody would probably be doing a lot of computation on it. It could be Excel sheets, you might even have macros that are around it, but there'd be a time involved. And instead, uh, in a future state, you would have a tool that would be looking at that data, have will have learned how to make a recommendation, and then send that back to the users as a, basically a work stream flow. So it would have ranked and prioritized each of the movements so that each one would happen consecutively. Now, uh, to your point of guardrails, you might have, uh, rather than a person who is uh, just significantly uh, more knowledgeable at the warehouse and know what was happening in the company and be able to identify things and make switches, we can start looking at the, the people who are executing the movements and get a feedback loop from them and say, you know, th this move do just doesn't make sense. It's a broom handle, which is a weird thing to try to slot. It, it needs to go here and then we can take a look at the data and the rule apply that applied to it and say, this is how we need to change it. So we've gone from, uh, you know, maybe weekly or daily having, you know, a complex data review piece and turned it into a, a data update piece or rule update piece as needed. That's why you're talking about like some of the you know, decision making, but so that actually leads me into the next question. So when people talk about talk about automated decision making in the supply chain, you know, how much of that is is truly automated? You know, meaning you know there are some instances when the machine is literally doing all the work, making a recommendation, but then and then triggering an action on that recommendation without a person even first reviewing and approving the action. Uh, kind of what you're speaking about in a second second ago, in a way. Uh, if so, you know, when is that type of what I call you know full automation considered low risk? So what, what I think can, you, you can differentiate sometimes is the macro and the micro decisions. So, and usually in supply chain processes, you have to do both. Um, and when I'm talking about micro decisions, it's, I don't know, um, you have thousands of goods in your warehouse and you need to decide if you do a replenishment, um, how to fulfill an order, where to push the, the latest receipts, et cetera. So there are hundreds or thousands or sometimes even millions of micro decisions that need to be made on a day-to-day -day basis. Some of them might be already highly automated because you have a very robust rule set of how things are doing, happening, but maybe some of them, you, you don't revise the decisions, you don't make a decision. And I think that's an area where um, AI methods can help with really automating the decision-making and really the output is a decision and you just execute. <clears throat> if you think about the macro decisions, then you probably don't want to have that automated from an AI perspective. You want to have a guidance. You want to have better insights. You might combine insights from um, AI tooling and from more um, classical BI tooling and then be guided in how to deal with that. Where should I put my next warehouse? That's such a big decision. You don't want to hand that out to an AI and then just start building it out. 
you probably get some guidance, you get some cost calculations, you maybe run some optimization, um, and then you still make the decision yourself. So that's where I would differentiate from a collaborative approach. So where humans and AI need to work hand in hand and the strategy needs to be set, et cetera. And where you really have an opportunity of lever leveraging AI methods in a way that's really fully automated and it's much quicker um, and much better decision-making um, than not leveraging an AI method than in the future. Yeah. And I, I tend to do this in my own world is to, uh, separate into two separate pieces. So uh, I might use AI or other tools to help me define a business case to, to, to see where the opportunity lies, to see how to frame it, how to position it. And then to take that to a board and say, this is what, these are our options. This is the situation that's come up to then get their approval to build a business plan in much higher detail and fidelity. So and I might use a, a tool to go along with that to help build the detail and fidelity, but to have stage gates across the path. Okay. All right. Uh, let, let, let's, let's talk about the potential risk. You know, I'd imagine that there's probably some risk monitors and oversight procedures in place that these instances where AI is working a little bit more autonomously, correct? Yeah. So, Similar to, to other methods, you would put some guardrails, you might put them monitoring around it to make sure that it doesn't go out of out of whack. Um, and for I mentioned earlier the example of explainability in the area of forecasting. So there are sometimes it is just tough to comprehend where a specific decision is coming from. And then it can be helpful to put additional monitoring in place to just give guidance on what data was utilized. And then sometimes it is straightforward. You see, ah, okay, there was a there was a gap in the data. That explains why even the AI method didn't come up with a reasonable solution to the challenge. So yes, monitoring makes place, guard makes sense, and guardrails make a lot of sense. So that even if you allow an AI method to decide if you're going up or down, you put certain guardrails on how up and how down you might go ultimately from your decision making. Okay. Yeah. And we often see. There's tools like that within the warehouse as well. So if I'm a, a inventory control person and I'm going to adjust out uh, inventory, I'll probably have multiple reasons, maybe scrap, damage, um, uh, uh, reutilization, some various different points. And each of those might have different criteria against it that based on my position in the company, I might be you know, authorized to just approve anything that's under $100, just go straight through. Anything under $1,000 might need a supervisor approval or a secondary review. And then anything over 10,000 might need corporate sponsorship, something like that. And, and that's pretty common in just most of the workflows we have in the warehouse today. Thank you. You know, the next one we're gonna move on to, we kind of teased it a few minutes ago, but let's talk more about the use of AI for slotting. As I know, this is an area where Kerber's has been invested, investigating opportunities for improvement. You know, what role do you see AI playing in sliding decisions and actions? You know, how does it either simplify or speed up the process or help organizations improve their slotting logic? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Um, our slotting solution is really um, meant to drive the efficiency in the warehouse. So that's what the, 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 the idea is behind the, the, the algorithms that we're using there. I mentioned earlier, ultimately slotting is an optimization problem and uh, algorithms that we are using there are playing into that, are playing in that field. 
And what we're, we're ultimately able to do is really come up with a solution that um, drives the efficiency in the warehouse. Um, looking at customers that we've been investigating by 10, 15, sometimes even 20%. So really reducing the distance um, that needs to be um, covered in the picking process um, by having the inventory placed in a better area. Obviously, it's not just about the optimization itself um, and the distance itself, but it is also important to um, be aware of all the rules um, that are um, required around the different types of inventories, around the different types of locations. So <laughs> the algorithm needs to, needs to uh, drive for, for efficiency optimization, but it also needs to take into account all the rules um, that are that are so relevant for 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 your warehouse setup in terms of safety, in terms of um, weights um, and guidelines um, that that come with your inventory, and combining that and coming up with a solution um, that helps our customers to drive the warehouse efficiency was really key for us in that in that journey. Yeah. Uh anything anymore, uh, most of the conversations I have are about labor and, and trying to make sure that we're utilizing our labor to the best extent and we're we're saving where we can. And slotting is one of those uh, first places where we can really start optimizing uh, how we use our people within the warehouse. Um, and I, I have a, uh, I'm fortunate that I had a background in it, that I actually was a slotting person for a pretty decent sized warehouse down here in Southern California. And one of the issues that I had was I came in as more of an IT person. I would I fresh with my IT degree, so I was building reports. So I was I was writing rules to make recommendations to me, but without necessarily knowing the product. And I was leveraging some of the people in there that knew the products better to help define those rules to start. And every time I uh, made the recommendations, like I would then need to kind of work to get that move done within the warehouse because it was considered an indirect time. So that was time that wasn't exactly adding to the net value of an invoice. It wasn't necessarily billable. So uh, it was a lot of work I had to do on the front end to then try to convince somebody to do. And I'd have to take a look at the product to, to see how that went. So it was for my role, uh, I, I like to think I was adding value to the company, but I was a lot of labor on my part to convince a lot of labor in the warehouse to do a bunch of things and to to manage that work. And if we have uh, tools in there that can automate some of that decision-making process, if we have tools in there that can be looking for specific things, uh, one of my biggest, like I said, was around injury. I wanted to make sure that anything that was heavy was in a place that would be efficient to pick up and was not going to injure the person who is doing it. Uh, one is because we want to make sure that you know we we have our people and we keep them safe and working through it, but mainly because these were my friends. These were people that I saw every day, and I wanted to make sure that uh, I was taking care of my friends in the warehouse. So by taking and using uh, better tools to design and and architect how these moves go through. I would be free to focus on some of the larger things like uh, uh, warehouse expansions and, and things like that and use my uh, uh, skill sets toward a, a larger opportunity. And these, this work could be sitting there for my team when they got started and they could take them down in a ranked order of importance and, and value creation. 
you mentioned uh, product location rules and so forth. That actually dovetails right into the next question. Uh, thinking about you know, think about how the AI model works. You know, it's it's combining user-defined product location rules, historical and forecast order volumes with mathematical optimization techniques. You know, really to help warehouse operators determine the best location to slot inventory. Uh, you know, it can simulate the picking process to evaluate the impact of that recommended location. You know, to me, it sounds like humans would very much need to be in the loop here uh, and to both set some rules, confirm that it's AI's recommendation that does indeed work well for the people who ultimately be acting upon that recommendation. So I imagine this particular AI application would be extremely um, helpful to, for operators trying to figure out where to either put fast moving inventory or even seasonal inventory that maybe has high throughput or for a limited time and, each, and eventually need, need to be replaced with, with, with new SKUs. So a little bit different than what you're talking about, Justin. You don't want your warehouse workers, the friend, your friends, to be hurt. But you know, what about like seasonality and so forth, or fast moving SKUs? Yeah, and I would, that was actually one of the pieces that uh, this offers that I wouldn't be able to, especially uh, when I first started. Obviously, I wouldn't have a, a key vision into what each particular SKU did over the course of time. We supplied to a number of different customers who had very different seasonality. I mean, there were some some continuous seasonality that managed across the board, but some things were moving up and some things were moving down. Um, so a, a tool that could look at that and look at historical data would be immensely valuable to get somebody started right away in, into becoming effective. And then one thing that I, as a, you know, I was building into my tool sets using velocity, but what I couldn't do is look for hotspots of how people were gathered and, and try to distribute that a little bit better because it's one problem to move things into a velocity order. Another one to look at it and uh, it might be high velocity, but due to the, the format of the box, it, you get a lot of congestion and a tool like what Ansgar is talking about can take that information in and spread those as a, a second layer of uh, complexity and data. Yeah. And another aspect that we want to invest um, into from a slotting perspective is not just looking at the warehouse efficiency, but also looking at secondary KPIs at, for example, congestion or also replenishment needs. So for many warehouse um, operators, it's not just about having an efficient picking process, but also being aware of how much our replenishment runs do I have to do on a daily or weekly basis. So can we include some of these aspects um, as secondary KPIs in the optimization and um, allow a more strategic setup of the slotting itself? So these are things that we are exploring with our customers and where we want to improve the solution then step by step and time over time um, to really yeah, cater for, for not just the efficiency, but also all the other aspects that might be very relevant from a, from a slotting perspective. Brilliant. Uh, how easy would it be to take this this logic and say apply it to picking? You know, if you're sending a warehouse associate a batch of orders to pick, you know, could the same type of AI be used to analyze the items in that batch and then maybe suggest the best route through the aisles so that they're moving efficiently and not having to backtrack, backtrack or jump all over the place? Uh, perhaps even syncing with voice technology systems to give the most efficient navigation guidance you know, to that picker. So there, there is some overlap to route planning, obviously, but ultimately it's a slightly different challenge that you would have to solve. You can probably leverage a lot of the same data um, to solve the, the route optimization problem. 
But what we've seen um, when talking to our customers is that it also depends on what do you pack on a route actually. So it's a it's a multi-level problem that you have to that you have to solve. You think about the route optimization. It's not just um, you have all the items on your list and now how how do you how how does your route look like? It's also which items do you put there? So you actually have a a problem that you can solve from from multiple angles. So while the data um, is probably very similar and some of the optimization techniques might be the same, you would still need a different method um, uh, ultimately to to solve the root optimization challenge. Okay. Uh, and even to uh, earlier stream of uh, as you're creating the work, deciding which is the the uh, area that would be best suited to deliver that piece. So, um, you know. The, we have a lot of things currently where uh, you might take a certain piece and based on the level of complexity it's a full palette it's a full layer it's a it's a case it's a breakdown of an each uh, using things like that to define where we send that unit of work for which uh, uh, robot person voice uh, where to send that to make it get to the end result uh, the most efficiently based on all the other work that's going on in the warehouse yeah, this time has been been fantastic. I think that uh, we have gone longer than we probably expected, but that that's okay. This is this is good stuff. Um, but before I let you both go, uh, let's talk a minute about data quality, because um, I know this is something that might be looming in on listeners' minds. Uh, you know, if they haven't digitized all their data yet, and some things are still analog, or perhaps there's a ton of disjointed systems with with inaccurate data within their systems. You know, how much will that impact their ability to derive benefits? from an AI software application such as slotting um, IQ or an AI-powered workforce management tool? That, that is indeed a challenge. So AI methods are only as good as the data that they're leveraging. That's true for Gen AI, that's true for optimization techniques, and that's true for uh, more classical machine learning forecasting models. So being aware of what data quality you're utilizing is key. So um, it doesn't always need to be top quality, but you have to be aware of where there might be gaps in the in your data quality so that you can treat it appropriately in the beginning. So you have to you might you might have to make your algorithms more robust against data quality, for example. Um, and ultimately, the lower the data quality, the, um, the lower also the, the outcome that you can expect. So that's that is just a given with AI methods. Um, but it doesn't mean that if you don't have high quality data, they cannot be used. You just have to be aware of it and maybe treat it differently. And you know, thinking about data, uh, the way that I was seeing it in, in my experience was we probably have a new inventory item that got created by merchandising. They order it. And based on the spec that they have in a catalog, they type in the dimensional data, the dims and the weights. Uh, that they had from the catalog perspective. But when you get it onto the warehouse floor, we would you know, always cube it as it came in to make sure that we had our own measurements and weights and, and make sure that we're flagging, you know, terming guardrails, like you mentioned earlier, to make sure that we say, you know, this was a uh, proposed dimension and weight, and this is a, the actual dimension and weight, and make sure that we're updating that as we go. Uh, but even the slot sizes and capabilities. So, 
uh, one of the first activities I did, I wasn't sure if it was hazing or not, but I was sent in the freezer to measure every single bin location in the warehouse, <laughs> So, uh, which was a lot of fun. I, I got a lot of uh, intimate uh, understanding of each location, each piece of rack in the warehouse. Um, but as people are recommended to do a move, if it doesn't fit based on the cube of the item, the cube of the pallet and the cube of the location, uh, that should you know, be another one of those guardrails where we come back and say, okay, something's off. It's either the, the item, the pallet or, or the location. Let's, let's see where that data is. And rather than just hitting skip, let, let's assign that piece of work item to uh, a person to, to go in and examine, to do that, that quality check to see where, where was the data off so that later on the, the data and the decision are, are going to be that much more reliable. I think it might have been hazing, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they gave me a jacket, but it was not enough. <laughs> a jacket, okay. Uh, this has been extremely insightful, and I hope our listeners have found the, found the, the discussion valuable. Um, I know Kerber just published a white paper on AI in the supply chain, and we're going to link that in the blog post that's going to be accompanying this podcast. Um, in case anyone wants to take a deeper dive into what we just discussed. Um, and we'll also put your contact information there as well so people know how to reach out to you guys with questions. I definitely want to thank you guys for sharing your expertise with us. Hopefully everyone is walking away with a little more confidence that AI is something that they could bring, indeed bring into their fold of their organization maybe within the next few months, uh, regardless of the size of the operation or the extent of their, their data science experience. Awesome. Mark, thank you for having us. Really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much. No, no, my, my pleasure. Uh, you guys are rock stars. And I'd like to uh, thank our listeners and both of you for taking part in such a, a great discussion on a fascinating topic. Uh, the po This podcast is the third in a series of podcasts that we're doing with Kerber Supply Chain Software. The first was around warehouse trends. Uh, the second was around voice picking and voice operations. This being the third. Uh, both are going to be linked with the company blog uh, for the podcast. Uh, both of you uh, linked below. And I believe the next uh, Zero podcast with Kerber. The next one will be on uh, direct store delivery, which you'll have to stay tuned to find out for sure. So definitely want to thank you both for being here. Appreciate it. Thank you. Cheers and a great afternoon. Thank you. Cheers.